hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere. And it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now, it comes in black and two different camo patterns. And you can pick one up for three to 400 bucks, depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now, Henry makes more than 200 rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's henryusa.com. Free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Born from the tragedy of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, they have supported our nation's heroes and their families ever since. Heroes like Marine Corps Sergeant Adam Mayo. Now, Mayo served our nation for over seven years before he was catastrophically injured during training. Now, he was left paralyzed from the chest down, severely limiting his ability to move around his home independently. Now, Tunnel to Towers paid for Sergeant Mayo's mortgage, and that removed that financial burden from him and his family. The foundation gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his very specific needs and injuries. And Tunnel to Towers has already come to the aid of so many heroes and their families by providing mortgage-free homes. They can only do it with your generosity. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget. We hope you'll join all of us here at Team Hannity. Go to their website, commit to $11 a month. Go to the letter T, the number two, the letter T.org. The letter T, the number two, the letter T.org for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Sean Hannity Show podcast. This is the Sean Hannity Show, and uh, I'm Louie Gohmert, uh, lowly legislator, member of Congress from uh, First District of Texas. That's East Texas. And I am thrilled to be with you again uh, in Sean's behalf. And Sean has such a great bunch of folks that work with him. And it's a pleasure to be here with them, working with them. And uh, they can almost make me sound professional. I won't say professional what. But, gosh, there's so much news going on today. And uh, there is so much misinformation. And uh, as we speak, the left is going nuts over this Russian hacking stuff. Where has this been the last eight years that the rest of us, we're concerned about Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, 
uh, those particularly, but many others hacking into our system, hacking into our secrets, stealing uh, copyrights and protected patents, all kinds of information. And uh, this administration, we just could not get them worked up about it. And now that Hillary Clinton has won, uh, they're hoping people f- will forget that uh, her losing may have had something to do with uh, the fact that uh, she lied to Democrats and Republicans al- alike. Uh, I mean, she even lied to the uh, families of the victims of Benghazi. And uh, bless her heart, I-, I do think it's difficult, and I sympathize. I can't, well, I can't. I empathize. They say you really can't sympathize unless you've actually been in someone's shoes under a similar situation. But I empathize with Hillary Clinton because, uh, you know, all the lies she's told, it's just created such pressure up there in her skull. It, it's got to be tough. But uh, some of those lies came out uh, and, you know, finding out that uh, she got special treatment in debates that the mainstream or lamestream media gave her special help that no Republican would ever get. Uh, and then to find out the way they really cheated Bernie Sanders, and, and he's such an affable guy, he just kind of let her got, get away with it. But this stuff started coming out, and uh, you know, Julian Assange, Sean has has interviewed him a number of times. First of all, you have to find that Julian Assange totally lied when he said the information that they produced on the Democrats' uh, emails did not come from Russia. It did not. And uh, this administration now, all all of a sudden, uh, though it sounds a a lot like in tone, uh, it was all about a video. It was all about a video. And you've got some of the same characters coming out and talking about the rushing hacking the way they did about uh, Benghazi. Well, it was all about a video. And, uh, you know, talking with my staff, a term came to mind that uh, reminded me and uh, reminded some of us um, of a term perhaps you've heard, gaslighting. Uh, and I bet most of you have heard the term gaslighting. And I went to the Oxford Dictionary. And it says a type a type of lamp, of course it goes on, but as a verb, it means to manipulate someone by psychological means into doubting their own sanity sanity. Uh, for example, in the first episode, Karen Valentine is being gaslighted by her husband. And it goes on, but the origination, and I hesitate to give this because it's from Wikipedia, and that in my opinion, they're only trustworthy when they quote verbatim a trustworthy source because they're basically run by a bunch of liberals but they say etymology uh and for those uh, in the fringe party or the democratic party that means you know it's origination the term originates in the sy- systematic psychological manipulation by the main character of a victim in the 1938 stage plays play gaslight known as angel street in the united states and then there were the film Adaptations released in 1940 and 1944. And some of you may have seen it. You may remember uh, Ingrid Bergman was in, I think that's the only one of those that I've seen. 
But in the story, a husband attempts to convince his wife and others she's insane by manipulating small elements of their environment and insisting uh, she's mistaken. She's remembering things incorrectly or she's delusional when she points out the changes. And the original title comes from the dimming of gaslights in the house that happened when the husband was using the gaslights in the attic while searching for hidden treasure. The wife accurately notices the dimming lights and discusses the phenomenon, but the husband insists she's just imagined a change in the level of illumination. So that's what this administration does. They're gaslighting America constantly. They're over and over, you know. If a policeman did the right thing, then Obama comes out and says, well, we know he acted stupidly. Well, no, Mr. President, it seems like every time you come out and make a stand, um, it's not exactly what happened. And that gets tough. You know, as Abraham Lincoln pointed out, if you don't tell the truth, it's really hard to remember what you said each time. But they're really coming after Russia now, and and never mind, and I know Sean has mentioned this numerous times, he's played it, and Jason's got that on, but uh, on, on tape of Obama not realizing the microphone was on and saying, you know, tell Vladimir I'll have a lot more flexibility after. You're amazing. I didn't, I, I just mentioned it, holy cow, it goes up. That's amazing. But yeah, that's Obama. I couldn't believe the American people would reelect the guy after he was saying, in effect, I'll be able to sell America out after the next election. But they did. And now they keep talking about this Russian hacking. Yeah, they've been hacking. China's been hacking. And this administration, how do they respond? Well, it's kind of like Iran wanting a nuclear weapon. This administration responds by helping them out. So when... uh you know, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, they've been hacking. So what does Obama do? He decides, let's give a huge amount of control that the United States have ex- has exclusively over the Internet. Let's give it to uh, the world because, you know, the world's so much more trustworthy than the United States. It was a huge error. And I'm telling you, Donald Trump is going to have his hands full because there is so much damage that has been caused by this administration, and it's going to be a mess cleaning it up. And then we had the news, uh, the Spanish military report. This is from Judicial Watch. Uh, Islamic terrorists are operating, operate and raise cash in Latin America to attack the United States. And a great story there from uh, Judicial Watch. What what have they come after us uh conservatives on well for one thing uh i know even comedians democratic comedians so many have been making light back when i quoted the fbi director Mueller, he testified before congress that we had people from the middle east suspected radicals who had changed their names to hispanic sounding names and were trying to blend in with Hispanics coming in across our southern border. Boy, was I vilified for that. They never bothered to mention CNN, any of these other places, Huffington, whatever it is. um, They never bothered to mention I was quoting the FBI director. But uh, jokes, all kinds of things, they have been. Uh, The FBI director said that. And uh, the Democratic uh, hero who did everything he could to save 
Hillary, yeah, they want to try to blame him now, but the fact is you had FBI agents that knew that there was gold evidence in uh, Huma Abedin and uh, Wiener Anthony's um, computer, and and Wiener's a little backwards. But anyway, um, so Comey had a choice. He could either squelch it or he could get ahead of it and say they were looking into it so the FBI agents didn't get out there and leak it themselves and destroy uh, Hillary Clinton for sure, or he could say they're looking into it, then they don't leak it, and uh, then he could come out the day before the election or two days before the election and say there's nothing to it. He was doing everything he could to help Hillary, and it almost worked. Thank God it didn't. And when we talk about... Um, uh, radical Islamists, uh, people from Islamic countries that have come in on visas. I talked about this six years ago because I had great information from a reliable source, and I had names, but I couldn't give them, and I promised that I wouldn't give them because it might have identified who gave me the information. But of Islamist, uh, radical Islamist leaders sent their wives over to have kids here and I've never said a baby is a terrorist. That's ridiculous. That's the, what the left does to try to vilify people. But uh, the truth was they would come over on visas, have the child, take them back with an American passport. And uh, people like Anderson Cooper, all these other nitwits uh, were saying, yeah, give us proof. And they still have not reported that this stuff has really been going on. And what happened to Alawaki, the first American citizen who was so dangerous that this administration had to take him out with a drone strike? Well, Alawaki, why was he an American citizen? Well, his parents came over um, and on visas. He was born here, and then they went back to Yemen and taught him to hate America. And then he radicalized and helped kill Americans and radicalize others who may be uh, the, the cause of deaths to Americans in the future. And what about Alamudi, who is he helped Clinton and early on helped Bush find good Muslims to work in their administration and in the military and in our prisons where now we know that uh, prisoners are being radicalized? Well, Alamudi's doing 23 years in prison for his support for terrorism. And uh, why is that? Well, um, he was helping support terrorism. And as I understand, I'd heard that it was MI6 that gave him the information to pick him up at Dulles Airport. But, uh, oh, yes, Alamudi had his wife uh, bear a child here in America, so he has uh, an American citizen child. And what about Muslim brother Morsi in prison? Uh, He was uh, consorting to bring down the Constitution. He was dismantling it. And, uh, oh, yes, he sent his wife over to have a baby. And uh, anyway, so it's been going on, but you've got the left uh, that all want to do this gaslighting and make us think we're crazy. Folks, we're not crazy. But thank God Donald Trump will be president, and we've got a chance to correct some of this stuff. We have got to stop birthright citizenship. That's uh, what people say is under the 14th Amendment. It's uh, the 14th Amendment. Uh, does discuss it. It says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. But, uh, you know, Representative Bingham uh, and other proponents 
they were anticipating that that did not apply to people who were foreigners who were here, or legally or illegally. Diplomats were here. It didn't apply to them because they, as one of them said, oh, it was Senator Trumbull made clear that if they if they are from another country, if they have allegiance to another country, then their children, doesn't matter how many are born here, they're still not American citizens. So we got to get that fixed with legislation, and hopefully uh, President Trump will clean that up. And I'm excited. I was looking at numbers on the Ninth Circuit. They have so many more cases than any any other circuit, and uh, you know they've got about. You take the first four or five circuits, they've got as about the same number of cases. Well, we need a new circuit, and I'm going to be pushing for that. How Wouldn't it be great to have Donald Trump appoint an entire circuit court judges? And uh, I, I wouldn't mind, and it's totally up to Congress under the uh, Constitution, what jurisdiction they have or if they even exist. But how about if we restrict the Ninth Circuit's uh, jurisdiction to controversies arising in their building and then give the new one um, the uh, authority over all other controversies. Boy, that would be a go-to circuit, wouldn't it? So there's room for lots of good things. We're going to be taking your calls. And uh, this is Louis Gomert sitting in for Sean Hannity. And I'm excited about the year to come. And you come on back. We've got guests. We've got your calls. And you are going to enjoy the show. Not as much as Sean being here. But ladies and gentlemen, we're going out this year with hope. And we're not going to be left with what's, what we were left with when Obama got, took over as president. That was we had hard cash, and it became just a few cents of change. He got the hope, and we had the change. Um, we've got a caller here. Let me take that caller right quick. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Yes. <laughs> Lauren was telling me about the number. The number is 800 941 Sean. Throughout his administration, President Obama has been deeply committed to Israel and its security. That commitment has guided his pursuit of peace in the Middle East. This is an issue which all of you know I have worked on intensively during my time as Secretary of State for one simple reason, because the two-state solution is the only way to achieve a just and lasting peace between Israelis and Palestinians. It is the only way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state, living in peace and security with its neighbors. It is the only way to ensure a future of freedom and dignity for the Palestinian people, and it is an important way of advancing United States interests in the region. The two-state solution is now in serious jeopardy. The truth is that trends on the ground, violence, (coughs) terrorism, incitement, settlement expansion, and the seemingly endless occupation, they are combining to destroy hopes for peace on both sides and increasingly cementing an irreversible one-state reality that most people do not actually want. Today there are a number, uh, there are uh, a, a, a similar number of Jews and Palestinians living between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. They have a choice. They can choose to live together in one state or they can separate into two states. But here is a fundamental reality. If the choice is one state, 
Israel can either be Jewish or democratic. It cannot be both. And it won't ever really be at peace. But now I must express my deep disappointment with the speech today of John Kerry, a speech that was almost as unbalanced as the anti-Israel resolution passed at the UN last week. In a speech ostensibly about peace between Israelis and Palestinians, Secretary Kerry paid lip service to the unremitting campaign of terrorism that has been waged by the Palestinians against the Jewish state for nearly a century. What he did was to spend most of his speech blaming Israel for the lack of peace by passionately condemning a policy of enabling Jews to live in their historic homeland and in their eternal capital, Jerusalem. Hundreds of suicide bombings, thousands, tens of thousands of rockets, millions of Israelis in bomb shelters are not throwaway lines in a speech. They are the realities that the people of Israel had to endure because of mistaken policies. Policies that at the time won the thunderous applause of the world. I don't seek applause. I seek the security and peace and prosperity and the future of the Jewish state. The Jewish people have sought their place under the sun for 3,000 years. And we're not about to be swayed by mistaken policies that have caused great, great damage. Secretary Kerry said that the United States cannot vote against its own policy. But that's exactly what it did at the UN. And that's why Israel opposed last week's Security Council resolution, because it effectively calls the Western Wall occupied Palestinian territory, because it encourages boycotts and sanctions against Israel. That's what it effectively does. And because it reflects a radical shift in U.S. policy towards the Palestinians on final status issues, those issues that we always agreed, the U.S. and Israel, have to be negotiated directly, face-to-face, without preconditions. That shift happened despite the Palestinians walking away from peace and from peace offers time and time again, despite their refusal to even negotiate peace for the past eight years, and despite the Palestinian Authority inculcating a culture of hatred towards Israel in an entire generation of young Palestinians. Well, this is the Sean Hannity Show. I'm Louis Gomert, congressman from East Texas. And uh, you heard from our Secretary of State, what an embarrassment, and uh, from uh, just a great individual in uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, if, you, if you've ever wondered, gee, uh, Obama, Kerry, all these leftists that are, are condemning Israel for not giving up their country, part of their country, actually part that uh, was the promised land, if you believe the Bible, uh, was promised by God, and uh, the Red Sea parted so they could head there on their way. But uh, are they really being fair about this? The answer is, uh, well, if uh, these same type folks and the people that support these folks, if they demanded that Jordan— Uh, give up that same land when it controlled the land and give it to uh, the Palestinians. Uh, And and as Newt Gingrich has said, that's a new term relatively, came about uh, just in the last 50 years. Uh, Nobody made that demand of Jordan, which gives you a good indication. These people really hate the children of Israel, and they are out to undermine it. Once you go to Israel and you go to the Golan Heights, you go to the West Bank, you see clearly that if they gave that important part 
of Judea and Samaria up that was the promised land. Uh, if they give that up, then basically it makes uh, Israel indefensible uh, under conventional methods. But my friend Joel Rosenberg wrote, writes great books. Um, he likes to point to Joel 3, book in the Old Testament, says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, that's after he brought all the people back to the promised land, which has happened. Uh, he says, I will gather all the nations. This is God speaking through Joel, if you believe, as I do, and our next guest does. I will gather all the nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they divided up my land. So that's why Joel Rosenberg says, you don't want to be one of those nations that was pushing to divide Israel. It isn't going to go well for you. And my next guest, uh, you've seen him on Fox, but uh, he is just a great friend. He grew up with my wife, Kathy, in First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. And lo and behold, great thing, he's pastor there, Robert, Dr. Robert Jeffress. And uh, Robert, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Well, great to be with you, Louie. Thanks for having me. Well, Kathy, uh, my wife, knew you were brilliant in high school, and you were so such a powerful part of the youth group. But I want to talk to you. When you hear people talking of the land that some call Palestine, uh, the late Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion said bluntly, God gave it to us. And somebody, Netanyahu told me this when I'd mentioned to him several years ago, look, you can go back to the very inception of Israel. There's never been a time in Israel's history, going back to the beginning, when Israel has given away land trying to buy peace, that that land was not used as a staging area from which to attack it. And and then he looked at me a long time and he said, that's a problem, isn't it? And it is. But, uh, Robert, you know the Bible so well. Does the Bible say anything to uh, about today's land dispute between the Israelis and the Palestinians? Uh, what well, role should religion play in this conflict? Well, it has a great deal to say about it. And let me just say bluntly, Louis, John Kerry and Barack Obama are not only on the wrong side of history, they're on the wrong side of God on this issue. Ooh, that's a big, I mean, <laughs> That's not a good place to be. It's not a good place, and America doesn't want to be in that place. Look, in Genesis 12 and 13 and then in 15, God outlined the geography of the land he was giving to his people, and the land that is described there includes what we call today the West Bank, Gaza, the Golan Heights. All of that was a part of God's gift to his people, and he said, you will live there forever. Now, I realize we have people who don't believe that the Bible's the inspired Word of God, but at least it provides a history, if nothing else. And that's why prime ministers have appealed to it. It shows that Israel has been in that land. It's been there for more than 3,500 years. Uh, Robert, Louis, what's the fact there... is the Palestinians have no claim. Uh, they have tried to create this imaginary linkage to the Philistines who were there before Abraham. That is ludicrous. That violates Muslim theology that says that the Muslims are, 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 are in the lineage of Abraham and Ishmael. They don't have any linkage to uh, the, the Philistines. They are right. not the ones who belong in that land. It is Israel, and it's always been that. Well, what about, you know the history, uh, what about the Canaanites, the ones that were displaced? Uh, is there Are there any uh, descendants hey, of the Canaanites find- today? 
you can't find a Canaanite anywhere today. <laughs> no. You can't find a Philistine anywhere. They're gone. There are two they have lines. no descendants alive today. No, 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 there are only two lines that remain. You have the descendants of Abraham and Ishmael. And by the way, in Genesis 16, God said to Ishmael and his descendants that they would have a great land to the east of Israel. And God blessed the Arabs with oil-rich land. But in Genesis 17, he said, this land is reserved for Abraham, Isaac, and their descendants. And I want to say something else, Louis. Sure. You quoted Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 2 says in verses 2 to 3 that God will judge any nation that, quotes divides the land yep. that God gave to Israel. And that is why it is a scary thing to listen to Barack Obama and John Kerry. The good news is we have a new president coming, Donald J. Trump, who is determined <laughs> to be on the right side of history and of God on this issue. Well, uh, Dr. Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church. Uh, Robert, you were with Trump from the very beginning, not as a formal endorsement, but uh, you know Israel so well. And I'm intrigued after most Americans have never been there, but I was so intrigued uh, the times I've been there. Uh, was down in Hebron, which is considered, oh, that's that's supposed to be Palestinian land. And I'm standing there at the tomb of David's yeah. King David's father, uh, and and uh, you know David ruled over Israel from Hebron, as you know, for seven years before he went up to Jerusalem, and uh, you know that was about let's say ten twenty, uh, maybe ten twelve B.C., and uh, then he goes to Jerusalem. But uh, we know, wasn't it about 620 A.D. that, uh, and this is in dispute, some say Mohammed actually overnight was on a winged donkey and went to Jerusalem. Some say it was just a vision, a dream he had. But whether it was a dream or a, a vision or he actually was on the winged donkey that flew to Jerusalem, that's the only tie that, uh, of any type, that... Uh, Muhammad himself had with Jerusalem. And even if you suspect that he actually did fly overnight on that donkey and land in Jerusalem, uh, that came um, 1,600 years after King David was ruling over Israel. There is no prior claim by the Palestinians to that land. Absolutely no prior claim. And but you know, tell us about, about some of the places, the cities that we know we've heard in the Bible, read in the Bible, that are considered part of the West Bank these days. Well, exactly. I mean, you've got Bethel, uh, you've got Bethlehem, you have uh, Hebron, as you mentioned, Anatot, Jericho. All of these are in what is considered to be the West Bank today, but they were always uh, a part of Israel. And you know, you talked about a trip to Israel, Louis. Uh, the last time I was there, I had an Israeli military official say to me, he said, you know, you people in the United States talk about how we need to divide up Jerusalem. <laughs> Suppose that the French were to say to you, you Americans, we've deliberated over here in France, and we believe that you ought to divide up your capital, Washington, D.C., and give some of it to ISIS terrorists. 
I mean, they promise to act nice if you'll just give them some of the land. That would be absolutely ludicrous. Why should we be listening to the French and have people here who would try to destroy us? Well, the difference— These Palestinians don't only deny Israel's right to the land. They deny Israel's right to even exist. Yeah, you were saying giving part of uh, Washington to ISIS if they act nice, but— The Palestinians have promised they're not going to act nice. Well, look, we just got 10 seconds. What uh, parting words of wisdom can you leave, Dr. Robert Jeffers, with our listeners? Well, the good news is we've got somebody who's going to be on the right side of history on this. And the important thing is not that God is on our side. The important thing is that we be on God's side. Amen. And God is always with Israel. Well, and that is what Abraham Lincoln said. Thanks so much, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Good friend, great American. We'll be right back with more of the Sean Hannity Show. I'm Louis. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Louis Gomert sitting in for him. Uh, Member of Congress, uh, but just... uh, Proud to be here sitting in for Sean. A little information about Afghanistan you need to know. Um, President Obama, when he was Senator Obama and getting elected, he was talking about how important it was that we win that critical fight. Well, under Commander-in-Chief Bush, there were 575 precious American lives lost in that uh, the most tumultuous fighting of the Afghan war. Uh, since then, it has been more of a policing type action. But the rules of engagement of this administration and the fear that this administration has provoked in our military that they will be prosecuted if they defend themselves have gotten Americans killed. Um you know, Marcus Luttrell talked about it in his book, A Lone Survivor, that they were on the mountain and they said, gee, uh, we'll go. They'll try to send us to prison if we protect ourselves. So three out of the four died. Well, 575 precious American lives lost under Commander in Chief Bush, under Commander in Chief Obama. Uh, you have nineteen hundred and six basically four times more Americans have been lost in the minor policing action than were lost in the actual war uh, during President Bush's time. Why? It's all about the rules of engagement. And um, I'm so pleased that our coming, our president's going to be coming in January 20th, understands that, uh, And he understands the importance of the role of the rules of engagement. He's listening to the right people. In the meantime, we have two people as our guests at this point. And uh, it was my honor to meet Renee Myers. She's the mother of Sergeant Derek Miller. uh, And also the attorney for Derek Miller is named Colby Vokey. And uh, he was sentenced to life in prison for murder while serving in Afghanistan, and as uh, Derek Miller's Facebook group points out, uh, free Derek Miller Facebook, um, during a combat mission in a hostile area of Afghanistan in September of 2010, Sergeant Derek Miller's attention was drawn to an Afghan national who had penetrated the defense perimeter set up by the U.S. Army. 
The Afghan man was positively identified by another soldier under Sergeant Miller's command who recognized him from a detainment the previous day. The man in question was the driver of a truck reported by military intelligence as transporting members of the opposition to a nearby combat firefight. U.S. military intelligence let the truck pass. So Sergeant Miller was sent to question the Afghan national after observing the suspicious behavior of this man. And uh, as he was reconnoitering, and I love that word when I was in the Army. Yeah, we were reconnoitering. But uh, just basically doing reconnaissance uh, of their defense perimeter. Well, I, I mean, that should get everybody's attention. This is somebody to watch. Well, it appeared the man was gathering information, and since he was already identified as an enemy combatant, Sergeant Miller was acting instinctively to protect his unit by detaining him. But during the harsh questioning, the Afghan insurgent attempted to grab Sergeant Miller's weapon and was shot and killed in the struggle, and Miller was convicted of murder. Why? Because the commander-in-chief wanted him convicted of murder. Uh, well, Sergeant Miller believes, despite his conviction and life sentence in prison for this, uh, the death of this Afghan insurgent, he was acting solely in self-defense and using sound judgment. I was in the Army. I participated in courts martial, And I can tell you there are times people get convicted in the military because it's not like uh, selecting juries in the civilian sector. Uh, the commanding officer selects he handpicks the people he wants to be on the panel and the only way you can get them off is if you uh, can find a reason for cause and I have actually asked uh, in representing someone in the military one time I asked a uh, colonel uh, uh, sir do you uh, have any feelings about uh, the defendant charged here? He said, well, he's got to be guilty. I know the commanding officer, and uh, he's got to be guilty, or or the commanding general would never have sent him here for a court-martial. I know that much. And then the judge intervened and said, sir, uh, we're both in this man's army, and if I order you uh, or, or give you instructions that you're not to feel that way or take that into consideration uh, as a member of the jury, you would follow my orders, wouldn't you? Oh, well, yeah, Judge, I didn't know you were going to order me. Sure, sure, I won't hold that against him at all. And and, and uh, anyway, you know that the jury is pretty much against your client if the last one into the jury room never lets go, go of the doorknob before they turn around and come back into the jury box to pronounce guilt. Now, that is a hostile jury. Well, uh, Derek Miller is convicted, but I'm honored, very honored to have his mother on the phone with me. Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Uh, thanks for being on with us. Thank you, Louie. I am so, um, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity to talk to you again and and tell people about what's happening to Derek. Thank you for having me. Well, and and so we don't run out of time, and we I forget to get this in. Uh, you have a postcard campaign to try to ask President Obama, but uh, perhaps um, we can do this with President Trump when he comes in. 
But uh, the campaign says, send a postcard to President Obama, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20500, asking him to commute Derek's sentence. And that only sounds fair and reasonable to me. Um, So let's get that plug in. Anything else on that that you would ask people to do so we don't miss doing this at the end? Thank you very much. For that, yeah, um, the postcard campaign is in tandem with a combat clemency project packet that has already been submitted to President Obama. Um, we're just waiting for word right now on whether or not, as a parting gesture, he's going to do something to help Derek, not just Derek, but other soldiers who are in the same predicament as Derek. But you know, I'm only I can only fight for my baby. But, um, you know, but we are also asking for. folks to uh, to call and write their congressmen and let them know to weigh in on this subject. Because, you know, if the war is winding down for the Gitmo detainees, and it's winding down for our guys, too, they need to have the same level of mercy shown to them. Well, but this <laughs> this doesn't seem to me to as a matter of mercy. This is a matter of justice. I mean, for heaven's sake, it, it, to hold soldiers to this level of accountability when they're trying to protect themselves and their other soldiers. I, I mean, uh, I don't know if you heard, but I know you know that under President Obama, there have been four times more military killed than were under uh, President Bush. And that's only going through May. So that's really seven and a quarter years compared to seven and a quarter years and uh, the real war was supposed to have been under President Bush. And under this president, it's gotten keep people killed. So I am grateful that your son did not get killed. But when somebody's doing reconnaissance of our defense perimeters, it is absolutely outrageous um, to, to say you can't defend yourself and your men. Now, uh, we have Sergeant Derek Miller's attorney on with his mom, Renee. Uh, uh, Mr. Volke, are you on? I'm here. I'm Welcome here to Sean you. Hannity's show. Uh, tell us uh, what you want people to do and then explain why we need to get this man out. Well, I, and I'll echo what Renee said, which is uh, write your congressman, write the postcard to the president, um, because what we've asked for is we, we've we've had this project that we, in conjunction with the University of Chicago Law School, uh, the Combat Clemency Project, and, and we sent in um, seven pardon or clemency applications for soldiers who have been convicted of war crimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I have handled, I can't, probably more kinds of these cases than anybody in the country. Um, and here in Derek's case is probably one of the most heartbreaking Um Derek was not only was he doing what he should have been doing as a soldier, and he questioned exactly what he should be questioning, but it appears from the facts of what happened after Derek uh, shot this Afghan detainee, this this insurgent spy, that uh, he was absolutely right because there was a coordinated attack on in their position uh, that very evening, and wow. that Afghan man that he had shot that he was interrogating had been going through their position a number of times, bringing Afghan soldiers in there. And uh, you know, what, what Derek did, not only was he right in, in, in being suspicious because of the, the lies that this detainee was telling, 
but he was absolutely right that he was uh, doing a recon of their own position, mm -hmm. and it led to them getting attacked that night. And Derek's action, not only should he not have been convicted, uh, it was it has saved countless number of soldiers' lives from so they were ready for that attack that evening because of what Derek had done. Well, you know, so, it's interesting. Uh, we know that the president tries to send uh, uh, someone, if he doesn't go himself or his wife, to funerals of people that uh, uh, have been killed by police. And yet, uh, and, and sometimes when it's rather questionable, the conduct of the deceased themselves, but uh, to my knowledge, there's not never been, you don't get uh, people that are in the service of these um, nearly 2000 people that have been killed uh, under the command of Commander Obama. It doesn't seem like they're nearly as concerned. And it makes you wonder, uh, would he have cared if people in Derek's uh, under his command had been killed by this guy that was doing recon of their perimeter that was known and seen to be part of a uh, uh, opposition group and had been in detainment the day before. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like to think the commander in chief cares that much. And I've seen commander in chief Bush uh, with tears uh, over such losses because he knew they were lost under his command. I just haven't gotten that idea uh, from this president. And you go back to the Osama bin Laden raid, and it still staggers me uh, to hear the video of the guy that is the president's body man who was with him when Osama bin Laden, those seals were going in. I could not have moved my eyes off of that screen. But when he was asked in California, and he's speaking out there to a group, uh, what was it like to be in the Situation Room watching that uh, the, the SEALs go after Osama bin Laden? He said, oh, well, we just stuck our heads in, but the president didn't want to watch that. We went to the next room and played, I don't know, 18, 19 hands of, of cards. I, I can't imagine that kind of uh, feeling by a president not to be concerned about our own people. But... Uh, Hopefully, if this president doesn't act, we can motivate the next president to do the right thing by Sergeant Derek Miller. Look, I was in the Army for four years, and the United States was never in combat during those four years. But it's an honor any time I can fight for those who have fought for us. And that's what uh, Sergeant Derek Miller has done. And uh, his attorney, Colby Vokey, thank you for being on Sean's show. And that's V, as in Victor O-K-E-Y. And, Renee, I know yeah. you struggle just and have such a heavy heart. So we want our thoughts and prayers to be with both you, your family, and with Derek. Um, we, we owe him and so many others like him so much. But God bless you, and get those cards into the president. If this one doesn't uh, commute the sentence, the next one needs to. God bless you. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is all going to happen again and again and again as long as we're just playing defense. Uh, it's as if uh, we're in a big, really important hockey game, and we deploy our entire team as, uh, go as goalies. 
we're we're going to lose. Uh, we can try to catch people after the fact. We can try to by vetting uh, screen people out. But if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to have continual um, terrorist attacks of major proportion. Uh, it's uh, very hard to find out which guy driving a truck. Uh, is uh, going to be a terrorist. Trucks are all over the place. It's not as if he has some secret weapon that we can spot or something. This is the Sean Hannity Show, and you are listening to the voice of uh, former CIA director and senior advisor to Donald Trump on national security issues, and uh, that is uh, Admiral Woolsey. Um, I tell you, Admiral Woolsey gave me a lot of comfort uh, back. I was supporting Ted Cruz, but I was looking at the people that Donald Trump was listening to, and it gave me a lot of comfort uh, knowing what I do about uh, Admiral Jim Woolsey. And I thought, wow, well, he sure listened to the right people. And uh, this is Louis Gohmert, by the way, sitting in for Sean Hannity. And I'm honored to have Admiral Woolsey on the line with us. Admiral Woolsey, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Many thanks, uh, but the initials got turned around. It ought to be AMB instead of ADM. I'm not an admiral. I was an ambassador. Ambassador. Uh, there we go. Okay. Yes. But I, I really appreciate the Well, now the way you call the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's terrific. Thank you. Yeah, I need to watch what I'm reading here. But uh, but thank you, Um you did a great job as CIA director, and I loved your comments. Uh, I love the comment that it'd be like putting all of our team as goalies. Uh, yeah. You got to have some people out there uh, in front, and exactly. th- this administration has not done such a good job. We're all it seems like we're always reacting. Um, but what do you think uh, that? President Trump should do immediately on taking office to to get us on the right track when it comes to foreign relations? Well, I think he probably ought to get together with his senior advisors and come up with an overall approach to dealing with the uh, outside world that uh, gives people some, some kind of guidance. And although he may not want to state it explicitly, I've always thought that uh, far and away the the best formulation was Theodore Roosevelt's uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. Um, Occasionally you may even have to use the stick, but at least carry it and have it and have everybody know that you have it. But in the meantime, speak softly. I I think uh, uh, often one can deal with diplomatic problems as well as substantive ones by some uh, combination of uh, that, uh, that, set of uh, uh, behaviors, and um, it's not foolproof, but uh, I've, uh, I found it in the international affairs area and uh, and uh, the arms control agreements I've negotiated with the Soviets on and so forth to be a, a pretty good guy. Well, it's interesting, though, the news uh, the last few days, this administration seems to have gotten into a high-pitched scream about Russian hacking, uh, you know, you you've been CIA director, and you know this is no secret that there's been a lot of hacking going on. Uh, tell me how you think. Uh, what kind of grade would you give President Obama in protecting our internet, especially uh, what he's done with ICANN and given that control to to foreign uh, countries? 
Not uh, not a high grade. I, I I was worried about the what the, the action he took on ICANN and uh, uh, worried about the uh, the the passivity. Uh, we uh, it, we started out wrong a few years ago by um, particularly I I think well his opening tour and speech of apology was not what I think we should have done. Oh my. But more uh, after that um, to tell the. Syrian leader Assad that uh, there's a red line in the sand and he will not cross it. He will not use uh, weapons of mass destruction, chemical weapons in this case, uh, against his own uh, people. And then when he went ahead and did it, uh, uh, President Obama more or less shrugged and handed the problem to the Russians. Uh, so if you if you want to get replaced by the Russians and uh, being a significant power in the Middle East, uh, that's the way to do it. Why he should want uh, that um, is uh, is beyond me. Well, it, I, in a conversation I had with Donald Trump privately back in September, he was about to walk in a room and talk to uh, 120 veterans, going back to World War II even, and uh, we were talking, and he asked me a question about a question he's frequently asked. And I said, look, you were, I, I personally, I studied history, had a major in it, and I still read constantly. But um, I'm talking to uh, former CIA director, former ambassador Jim Woolsey. But uh, I said, you know, I think the best presidents we've had on foreign policy were those that the world thought was just a little bit crazy, whether you bring up Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, people were not sure if this guy was just crazy enough to send this new big Navy after them. Yeah, and right. and I said, remember Saturday Night Live sketches about Reagan? He was walking around his character saying, where's the red button? I want to launch a nuclear attack. Where's the red button? And I said, that was the best thing that could have happened for Reagan if our enemies think that our president is just a little bit crazy. And uh, well, Donald Trump said, well, you know, they're saying I'm crazy. And I said, that's why you're going to be fantastic well, in negotiating. Know, uh, the uh, one clear illustration of that was uh, that the Iranians turned our hostages that they'd kept for a year plus uh, 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 loose uh, while uh, uh, President Reagan was being sworn in. That's right. Uh, I mean, that's a, what a pretty great clear point. acknowledgement that they don't want to, uh, you know, have him take office with them still on the wrong side of rationality and decency. That is such a great point. Uh, yeah, because they were not sure what he would do, but they knew what Carter would do. And I, I'm telling you, Ambassador, uh, when I was in the Army. My four years uh, included 79 and 80 under Carter. And so I was watching from Fort Benning. Nobody was dying to go, but we thought somebody should. They they committed an act of war, attacked our embassy, but he didn't do anything. And I I yeah. still to this day feel guilty. I feel like if we had responded back then, maybe if Carter had said, you got 72 hours to let them go or we're coming in, and if you harm them, it's going to be that much worse for you. I mean, I, I really feel like... There would be thousands of Americans that wouldn't have lost their lives to radical Islam if he had done the right thing uh, back then. But I you, think that's right. There's an article, uh, let's see, this from John Hayward, where it says, quotes you, that politicized leaks harm the credibility of the intelligence agencies. What do you mean by that? 
one room here at the uh, at the studio to another one. Whoops, we're having some uh, problems. Are you there, Ambassador? Yes, I am now. There you are. Okay. Um, but, uh, of course, I can't always trust things that I'm quoted as saying, but uh, how do you feel that the politicized leaks harm the credibility of our intelligence agencies? You've been there, CIA director. Yeah, I don't uh, think the leaks are uh, helpful. Uh, and if there are people inside the uh, uh, the uh, intelligence community that are doing it as distinct from political figures or others who learn something about what's going on, uh, then uh, they ought to be under orders to stop uh, yakking. Um, in intelligence, you really do need to uh, keep control as much as you can of what goes out because uh, sources and methods can get revealed by things that people don't uh, realize uh, uh, that is happening. Uh, and uh, you can have uh, you get people killed by uh, talking about stuff that uh, you may not uh, understand is important, such as a date or a, a, a size of something uh, or a, a, something that just sort of seems like casual conversation. But it, it reveals a source and method. You could like I say, you get people killed, and it's far and away better to keep your statements uh, 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 to yourself and take action. Uh, action is uh, a lot more effective than than mm-hmm. talking. And uh, uh, if you carry the big stick and occasionally use it, uh, I, I think that's an awful lot better than uh, than even people who think they're accomplishing something by, by leaking. Uh, nine times out of ten, they are not. Well, former CIA Director Ambassador Jim Woolsey, uh, boy, you make such a, a great point uh, when you say that uh, you do, you can speak softly, but if you don't have the big stick, uh, and you pointed out, then you're in trouble, and you pointed out earlier that uh, Obama has threatened with the big stick, but let's look at what he's done to those uh, who have caused harm. Let's see, you've got Boko Haram uh, that that kidnapped uh, over 250 girls. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember we took a very harsh uh, hashtag bring the girls back campaign. And I remember when Russia went into Crimea, there was a uh, hashtag campaign. And it seems like I remember somebody at the State Department saying they don't understand how fierce we're going to be in our hashtag campaign. Uh, no, I don't think Putin did. It, that's, is that the big stick you're talking about, these hashtag campaigns? Well, uh, not necessarily. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm, uh, uh, I, I'm thinking of uh, things that would uh, uh, create uh, uh, logistical difficulties and uh, and. Uh, I'll tell you the best one. Well, yeah, I was going to ask if you could give us an example. The best one is to take something that you can drive a car on other Mm -hmm. than an oil product. Let's say methanol with an M, wood alcohol. Uh, um, They've run the Indianapolis 500 on wood alcohol for Mm -hmm. dozens of years. Uh, You can drive cars on it just fine. costs under $100 a car to to make it possible to drive. Mm. If you can pull in, and I can pull in a filling station. And fill up with either gasoline or wood alcohol, methanol, 
uh, or some mixture of the two, mm-hmm. right then and there, several people get to be very, very worried. One of them is Mr. Putin. Mm-hmm. One of them is, uh, let's say, the, the Ayatollah Khamenei in mm-hmm. Iran. And one would be the ruler of Venezuela. All mm-hmm. of those are tyrannical oil states, and they ha- would have serious economic problems if the price of oil goes down and the utilization of oil uh, goes down. And by the way, it would also help American consumers, just uh, well, for starters. Oh, that's such so a you good want point. Something that would, would, would and you know, we could smile while we did it. Yep. We could say um, it's. Um, Really, uh, uh, a uh, uh, you know, it's just a consumer assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sure could. And Reagan was great at doing that. And actually, Bill Clinton was pretty good at doing that. But uh, that is such a good point. And I'm looking forward to having Donald Trump in office. And I think w- we could have already been energy independent. And I think that's where the next president will take us. But you're so gracious to come on, and thank you very much, uh, former CIA director, former ambassador James Woolsey. Uh, Thank you so much. You are such an asset, and we appreciate so much your comments. Well, thanks Uh, so much. Good to be with you. Well, thank you. This is Louis Gohmert sitting in for Sean Hannity, and we think we got the phone system fixed. And besides that, we get to go the whole rest of the half hour without uh, commercial interruption. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to hear my friend Patrick and Steve. Are you guys there? Uh, yes, we hey, are. Hey, all right, all right, all right. Great, great, great. Good to have you all on, and uh, we get to go now longer without uh, commercial interruption. But um, so why do you think uh, these guys, according to the stories uh, that are Islamic uh, radicals, why do you think they tend toward seats of power? Well, Lou, I, I think uh, in the case of D.C., we've we got to remember that there's and that's a problem Patrick going Poole, all the way folks. back to uh, 9-11. And, yeah. And um, uh, with uh, three of the 9-11 hijackers were operating there, you had Anwar Alaki, who was the imam of the Dar al-Hijra Mosque. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen subsequent plots like the, uh, um, the Northern Virginia Jihad Network in about 2003, 2004. Actually, some of those guys are getting out of federal prison now. And now this new round of ISIS guys, it's uh, very concerning about what's what's going on. Well, yeah, and both you guys have uh, researched and studied and know radical Islam better than most anybody, uh, certainly anybody in this administration other than the radical Islamists. But uh, uh, what would you suggest as... Uh, a new President Trump is coming in. What should we be doing to help take these uh, radical Islamists on and get it in, and really protect ourselves? Because apparently from what's being said, uh, these guys have tended toward where there are seats of power, like around Was- around and in Washington, D.C., around and in airports and uh, that guy from um, the, the Orlando shooter, I, I tried to tell my Democratic friends that were violating the rules that it was it was a radical Islam that killed these innocent victims. But he was working uh, around some airport, wasn't he? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, what I would do, my, my advice would be to 
do a, a pause in the war on terror and do a fact-based analysis of who the enemy in the war on terror is based on who he says he is and based on the doctrines that he, he, he promulgates. In that regard, the first thing I would do is I would completely suspend the countering violent extremism narrative because I think this narrative, the CVE, this narrative exists to overwrite the counter-terror effort and replace it with language that sounds scientific and high-minded but ends up leading to nowhere. And so I think that, um, yes, you're right. These people are using that language. In fact, when you saw what happened in Orlando, he, he unequivocally said that he was a member of uh, ISIS. He explicitly stated why he acted. And yet the struggle on the narrative, the struggle on the news was to impose the CVE narrative. Was he a, was he a lone wolf? Was he this or was he that? And I think it's really imperative that we, we knock that silliness out out and say that man killed for the reasons he said so well thank y'all both so much for bringing up this countering violent extremism you know we've had some bills since republicans have been back in the majority that gave money for countering violent extremism and i i tried to bring this up on the house floor and didn't get a lot of support but you guys know i mean it's the cve countering violent extremism they have taken that money and used it to go after Islamophobia, it seems to me, um, uh, as much or more as they actually have radical Islam. Can you give us uh, examples of uh, how countering violent extremism money has been used? What kind of programs we're talking about? Well, I, I think the uh, the CVE programs that are really problematic are these ones that uh, end up engaging uh, the so-called moderate Islamists, um, you know, who are pretty hardcore radicals uh, when you start to look at it. And, and in fact, we saw the DHS announce today they're going to, uh, to ram through some new, uh, some new grants uh, on CVE here before uh, the change of administration. And that seems to be just an effort to entrench uh, this failed policy, uh, countering violent extremism, has never countered any actual violent extremists. Well, and Patrick it, it, uh, Poole, you had a, a great article about the absolute failure that countering violent extremism is. And in fact, let's see, this was from last summer. You wrote, Countering Violent Extremism 101, a program collapsing into absurdity. Uh, and, boy, you went into detail in what a disastrous program this has been. It, it seems to have taken our focus away from the enemy radical Islam and put it on ourselves that we're not being sensitive enough to the radical Islamist feelings. Uh, let's see, you said... Um, Obama CVE policies were developed in 2011 specifically at the demand of U.S. Muslim groups. And uh, where were you getting that information, Patrick? Well, uh, actually, that was a um, uh, the White House uh, put out a, a strategic implementation plan, uh, and it's right up on the uh, the White House website. And, and in fact, the the initial efforts. Uh, for CV uh, to install the CVE program was to blacklist Steve Coughlin, um, you know, that, uh, to prevent him from speaking at conferences, um, you know, to prevent him from from lecturing at uh, law enforcement audiences. And, and Steve can probably 
give greater detail about how that all got launched. Well, how did that get launched, Steve? Well, actually, it got launched um, in July, I think, or June, June or July 2011 when uh, NPR article came out accusing us of a whole lot of things that were simply not true, followed up by a CARE article. But what was what Wait, was really, and when you uh, say CARE, we're not talking about the group that sends packages to people overseas. This is the uh, CAIR group. Council on yeah. American Islamic Relations, that's correct. Which and uh, do you Hamas. think CARE should be listed as a uh, terrorist organization? Absolutely, I think it should. I, I do believe that uh, Egypt has done it. and I Well, think does that mean you don't think it. that uh, this administration should continue to be get their advice on uh, going after radical Islam from CARE? <laughs> I'm being facetious. I, I mean, they do. That. They I advise this correct. administration. Um, but, yeah, how did well, that happen back in 2011, you sort of say? Well, an article came out, and one of the people they, re- they, they relied on was people from the West Point Counterterrorism Center to make some discussions about what we were saying. And they were just not true, but they were followed up by the Council on American Islamic Relations. And it's important to point out that CARE was formed out of Hamas, and Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood in, in the Palestinian territory. And from that, they started this ongoing purge. Uh, we got a copy of a letter from uh, Muslim advocates Farhan Akhara to the White House demanding there be a purge, and then we saw that purge happen, and it, it, it's really scary. That was when I think the CVE went into full gear um, back in 2011, having brought uh, people from the Brotherhood into DHS in 2010. My idea is that this, this CVE is actually the intent of the CVE is to come after people who are – who, who are in favor of the Constitution. If you take a look at the actual legislation, it says a violent extremist, violent extremist is terrorist as defined in Title 18. So all of a sudden, CARE is calling you an extremist, mm-hmm. and that becomes the predicate for a terrorism review. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> this administration, um, I just don't think we can say goodbye quickly enough when when you see what you guys have and the damage that's been done. Let's see, in uh, Patrick's article, and I'm talking to Patrick Poole and Steve Coughlin, in late 2014, United, uh, I'm sorry, the New York Times reported Major General Michael Nagata, then head of Special Operations Command Central, held a series of conference calls attempting to understand why the Islamic State had grown so dangerous uh, wow, I, I, it's amazing to me, Patrick and Steve, that we have people at that high a level that are seeking to understand how radical Islamists got so dangerous. Uh, how did we get in this shape? Well, I, I think uh, the CVE narrative uh, uh, took us away from doing actual counterterrorism. And, you know, we started off the segment talking about the problem in Washington, D.C., and and this problem has been metastasizing uh, since, you know, Obama's, you know, JV team uh, comment uh, uh, about ISIS. I mean, the, the focus has not been on the problem. The focus has been on all these administration narratives, uh, which are all just dead ends. And, and now we're at the point where the FBI has, you know, reportedly a thousand terror investigations um, in the, these ISIS-related extremists. Well, and as Comey said, they're in every single state. Uh, these investigations, uh, as terrorist cells 
But and I know you remember, but when I was questioning uh, FBI Director Mueller, uh, and I, I said, "You guys did not even go to the mosque where the Sarnia brothers, the the Boston bombers, where they went, where they apparently were radicalized." Uh, and and uh, Mueller, as you recall, because I didn't hear it, and and I think you did, Patrick. But he said, we did go to those mosques in our outreach program. The outreach program apparently is what the FBI, the CIA, these these groups are using to try to get closer to help understand. And I just thank full for you guys. You, you have been fighting the fight. You've been trying to educate people on what we're facing Um do, how do you feel about the administration coming in? What hope do you have with President Trump coming in? You've seen the failures of this administration. Uh, well, well, I, I think have that, great uh, hope. I think that he's picking us, people uh, with an opportunity. We we knew exactly what was going to happen with Hillary is is more of the same and and even to a more heightened degree. Trump at least gives us an opportunity to begin to to fill in the hole that we've dug for ourselves. Yeah, Steve, and he, and he's willing to basically understand that, even though not every Muslim is a terrorist, and I understand that, and we all do, that an awful lot of the terrorism we see comes from Islam, and within that, people who claim Sharia as the basis of all law, mm-hmm. and that he's willing to look at that. That becomes, that becomes the basis of why they act, and I think that creates great hope. I think yeah. we also have our concerns, but like Pat was saying, well, we and knew we're going to have to cut. But thank you so much, Patrick Poole and Steve Coughlin. We'll be right back with more of the Sean Hannity Show. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is lowly legislator Louis Gomert, and uh, y'all. I'm so excited to have uh, a long-standing friend. I'm not going to say old friend because she's not old, but uh, like a week before the Republican National Convention. I was at a private dinner at Brent Bozell's house and had a conversation with Kellyanne Conway, and I was so excited because Kellyanne Conway was going to be my consultant. I knew she had a lot of clients. They were conservatives I admired, and uh, I was so excited. I was going to get to be able to consult with Kellyanne Conway, and a funny thing happened on the way to me getting to use her as a consultant uh, Donald Trump hired her, and uh, so my loss was the country's gain, and it is such an honor to have the only woman to have ever handled, managed a campaign for president successfully, Kellyanne Conway. Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Well, that is quite an introduction, Congressman Gomer. <laughs> thanks for having me. Love. Well, what happened to Louie? Come on, Kellyanne. But <laughs> All right, Louie, Louie. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on, and I know you're very busy, and uh, you. thanks for taking a few minutes out uh, from working with the president there um, to, to talk to the folks here. And we had people calling in, We and thanks for uh, being willing to take a call. We have Warren, and he had a question question for you. Warren, welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. Thank you much for taking my call, Louie. <clears throat> my question is, is it possible can we, as conservatives, use the uh, nuclear option that the Democrats put in place in the Senate uh, in 2012 or 14, whenever it was, mm-hmm. uh, that, for yeah, the Supreme Court? Yeah, to get a, a Supreme Court nominee 
uh, through Kellyanne, I know you are so brilliant on strategy, um, and I know that uh, you and President-elect Trump uh, have probably talked about the fight ahead to get the good people confirmed. Uh, the only time it's going to be easy to get somebody confirmed for the Supreme Court uh, will be if it's some liberal, and, you know, he's promised not to go there. W- what are your thoughts on Supreme Court nominee confirmations? Well, it's a great question, of course. We have the uh, Justice Antonin Scalia vacancy, and President-elect Trump has made very clear throughout the process that he intends to nominate justices to the Supreme Court and the rest of the federal judiciary in the likeness of Justice Scalia, somebody who does not make up the laws, he goes along or she goes along, does not have a conclusion in search of evidence, does not think the Constitution is a living, breathing document, and somebody who will apply the law as the law is written, not just make it up. And so um, in terms of getting the nominee passed, I think it's important that the president-elect has said he will uh, rely on the list of 20 or 21 that he has put forward. Mm -hmm. It's a public list. Everyone can look at it. The Mm -hmm. the man or woman will come from that list the first time. Um, And it's somebody also who, you know, after we have our attorney general confirmed, um, perhaps we can move on to to the Senate confirmation hearings for the for the Supreme Court nominee. The Democrats are already regretting that nuclear option ploy because now they realize it can come back um, to hurt them. I also think we're going to be able to to rely upon some Democratic Senate votes because they recognize that many of these cases now are four to four, and we have a brand-new, fresh administration, new blood to fresh faces, and, uh, and Donald Trump as president has a mandate from the American people to go and fill that that vacancy now. Yeah, he and didn't make any we'll bones. To rely on some. Pardon? He, he didn't make any bones about what he was going to do, that's and right. he got elected. And that's that's what we're told. If you make promises before you're elected, uh, then it should not shock anybody that uh, you go ahead and move forward and and try to keep your promises. But you know, it it I, I got to say though, it knowing uh, and having tremendous respect for. Justice Clarence Thomas, he was not a, a, um, a beneficiary of affirmative action. The man is brilliant, but he probably was more unfairly vilified than anybody in history going before, even more than uh, Bork. But, uh, you know, what they do to an African-American conservative, it, it's got to be the most unpleasant uh, situation to be in but it seems to me that donald trump is pretty well colorblind from from the folks i've seen working at trump places and so um i'm just i can't tell you kellyanne january 20th cannot come soon enough um we had brad on the lines from grand rapids michigan uh brad were you there i'm here why don't you ask a question to both me and kellyanne or Thanks make your comment. Sure. Um, I um, my head is about ready to explode over this um, narrative that the Russians hacked the U.S. elections. Um, it's untrue. Um, I, I, I just I, I want to scream at the top of my well, why, lungs that Brad, you know, why do you the, think they lost? Someone hacked. The Democratic email system. But, uh, no, but why did the Democrats lose? People are incompetent. <laughs> well, why do you think the Democrats lost? 
They, two things. Donald Trump had the right message, and he has the answer. Whether he's well-liked or not, I always felt that he was the, perhaps when he started, the bitter medicine that we that this country needed to cure what was going on. But um, the truth is what set the Democrats back. And uh, anybody that says anything different is um, just trying to uh, uh, place blame where it doesn't belong. Well, thanks so much, Brad. I think you're exactly right. That's exactly why the Democrats lost. It was the truth, and the truth, thank God, set us free. But, uh, you know, uh, Kellyanne was saying earlier in the show, I feel like Obama and Soros and all their operatives have been gaslighting us. Uh, We know what happened, and it wasn't the Russians. You know, the truth came out. They were lying to us just like they did over Benghazi. And they got caught. But even before that, people were tired of what this administration had done. People were tired of apology tours and were ready to see America great again. And thank you for the message that you helped get out there. And and, uh, I had my days when I was pretty down, but I am so excited now. Um, Thank you, Kellyanne, for all you've done. Uh, Anything that... um, you want to say to the to Sean's audience before uh, you have to go? Well, yes. First of all, um, Congressman Gomer, Louie, <laughs> I think it's important that people remember that this election was not a squeaker. He won 306 electoral votes. He needed 270. And Donald Trump and Mike Pence won states that had not gone Republican in decades, literally. Now, how did they do that? They did it because they had a message that you've just said, that really is resonant to so many folks who feel left behind and forgotten and just kicked out of the system. And that's that's what hope and aspiration really means. And if you look at the last couple of weeks of the campaign specifically, it's Donald Trump who had the uplifting aspirational message, mm-hmm. forward-looking message. Hillary Clinton was so negative, and it really it was confounding to me as to why she would stay so negative um, and not be aspirational and forward-looking. But there's also substance. You know, Donald Trump has put forward – his 100-day plan, everybody can pull it up and look at it. It's very ambitious, and he'll get it done because that's what non, non-political successful businessmen do. They're accountable. They believe in deliverables, deliverables, result. You don't just study something and defer mm-hmm. it and delay it and deny it. You actually do it. And so that's why so many Americans are so excited right now, even people who did not vote or did not vote for him. There's, there's a certain sense of optimism and forward-looking, uh, fresh blood change a better direction for the country and uh i think the i think other americans will be brought along louis through through progress and an improvement and positive change in their own lives very early on in his administration so it's an exciting time we thank you and your fellow members of congress for supporting the agenda where we're looking very forward to working with you and other members on capitol hill well i'm excited god bless you i i know that donald trump is going to be able to help some of our guys with who need a little calcium in their backbones, uh, I have a feeling he's going to help, uh, you know, solidify those backbones and help us get some things done that he had promised. But, you know, Kellyanne, you know the map better than I do. But when I was looking at the map of all of the counties that voted for Donald Trump and the counties that voted or parishes that voted for Hillary Clinton, uh, it appears very clear, you know, 
you've got the Republican Party and Donald Trump won the nomination of the Republican Party. And then you have the fringe party out on the fringe on the West Coast. Uh, Hillary Clinton had the fringes support on the left coast. She had the fringes support on the right coast. She had the fringes support down on the southern border. She had the fringes support Chicago, Detroit, uh, uh, the major cities in the north. And I, I think if we want to really promote truth, that uh, we need to have the Democratic Party change their names to the fringe party. That is who they represent. But the red that representing Republicans is just overwhelming the number of counties that Donald Trump won. It, it's rank and file America. She got the fringe. Well, I will speak to his victory. You're absolutely correct, Louie, in that it was historic from the perspective of he won 26, over 2,600 counties. Mm-hmm. And he flipped. Donald Trump was able to flip 200 counties that went for President Obama to Donald Trump. That's just remarkable, especially when you consider that President Obama was out there most days saying that Hillary Clinton was running on his legacy and he would take it personally if she didn't win and he needs you to get out there and stop Donald <laughs> Trump. People heard that message and they rejected it. They sure and did. In many of these counties, you know, you, you look at uh, Macomb County, Michigan, you look at Washaka County, Wisconsin, you look at Mahoning uh, County, Ohio. I, I mean, the list goes on and on. I can give you a list of 35, 40, 60 counties. Mm-hmm where it was just remarkable to see Hillary 10, 15 points down from where President Obama was and Donald Trump up 10, 15 points from where Mitt Romney and John McCain were. So this is the Donald Trump effect. And you even see it now. Sprint announces 5,000 new jobs. You see um, the Donald Trump effect in the stock market. Yesterday, the AP had a big story. Small businesses are buoyant and optimistic about 2017. He hasn't even taken office yet. And people are just excited about the positive change in energy. Yeah. Well, you know, there were a number of Republicans that have been saying for years we need to reach out to uh, communities that have traditionally voted Democrat uh, minority uh, areas. And so there have been a lot of Republicans that wanted to do that, that have tried to do it and have kind of been shut out. But uh, something that's encouraging to me is uh, Donald Trump, Sure, there were some doors shut in his face that I think will be open in the future now that he's president. But he actually got some doors opened and I think got some people's attention. And it's amazing. When I was speaking to a predominantly black uh, college in Tyler to a a combined sociology class, uh, I was amazed. There were people there who, in asking them questions, getting feedback from them, they sounded like right-wing conservative Republicans, uh, and I'm sure they voted for Obama, but they were saying, you need to put a work requirement because when I was on welfare, you know, I, I didn't work, and I should have been pushed out there. And somebody else says, there needs to be a drug test. I was using some of my money to uh, buy drugs. And these are women who were wanting to improve themselves, and they were getting back. And I think that's the people that – would listen to Donald Trump and could join him. And I really think he's got a chance to expand the party 
like we haven't seen uh, in our lifetime. So I'm encouraged, and I am so grateful to you. Uh, you've done the country a great service, and I don't think Donald Trump, there's nobody he could have hired that would have done a better job. Thank you so much, Kelly. Well, you're here, Louie. I get a lot of the credit, but we had a great team and a fantastic Yes, you did, and, and Steve uh, did a good job. Your former colleague in the House, Mike Pence, will be a great vice yes. president. Yes, so. yes. Thank you. God well, bless God bless you, you Kellyanne. Bless you, you too. Happy New Year. Hey, if you want a firearm that is easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. Now, it is a portable rifle that you can put together, take apart in just minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case that it comes in. It's so small, you can store it pretty much anywhere. And it's light enough to carry everywhere. Now it comes in black and two different camo patterns, and you can pick one up for three to four hundred bucks depending on the finish. Check out their videos. Go to their website. It's one word, henryusa.com slash survival. And while you're there, make sure you order their free catalog. Now Henry makes more than two hundred rifles and shotguns and revolvers, all made in America, all backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website, henryusa.com. Get their free catalog. They'll send you free decals and a list of dealers where you are. That's HenryUSA.com. Free catalog decals for the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. You know, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes and their families ever since 9-11. Now, hero first responders and service members, the people that serve our communities, our country, those who die in the line of duty, those who are catastrophically injured, veterans who have fought for our nation's freedoms only to return home, fall on tough times and become homeless. Heroes like Buffalo, New York, firefighter Jason Arno and his family. Now, Arno was killed while protecting his community. He was battling a warehouse fire. He left behind a wife and a young daughter. In their darkest hour, Tunnel to Towers provided Arno's wife and daughter with a mortgage-free home. The foundation lifted a financial burden, enabling them to stay in the home where they made their memories with their hero. Now, you can join the Tunnel to Towers Foundation on the mission to do good and support the families of America's greatest heroes, and that means the families of fallen first responders just like Jason Arno and Gold Star families with young children and catastrophically injured service members and also homeless vets. Please commit to $11 a month. Go to their website, the letter T, the number 2, the letter T.org. The letter T, the number 2, the letter T.org for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. Now, the same Hollywood that sold the American dream, they are now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Now, you can join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in the Hollywood Takeover brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some of the major studios. Now, don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. 